Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. You've heard it before. If God is for us, who can be against us? What a great way to frame your faith in God. Today, Pastor Jim encourages you to think about your priority list a little differently than you're used to. Using David's example, he was solely motivated by the notion of spending eternity with God someday. For David, that was all that mattered. Beyond belief, David knew that he would live a better life someday with God in heaven. How different would your life look like if you made all your decisions that way? Now, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms chapter 27 as he continues his message, Fear Killing Faith. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot down Romans 8, verse 28 through 39, which is probably the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest expression of confident trust in the Lord in the entire Bible. In fact, we will make some references to it today. Pick out part one from verse 31 right now, Romans 8, 31. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's obviously the answer to that one is, no one really. It may seem that way at the time, but no one really. Well, that's number one, confidence in the Lord kills fear. Number two, kills fear. Personal intimacy with the Lord kills fear. Personal intimacy. Verse four, the imagery begins to change. He says, one thing I have desired. Let me stop right there and ask you this question. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? What's the one thing that you, that you desire? What's the one thing you ask of the Lord? What's at the top of the list and everything else kind of falls below it? I know people like to order different things. You hear from married people, they go, well, God is number one and my wife is number two and my kids are number three and Pastor Jim doesn't even make the list. And you, know, you, have, all, you have all these different things. But I like to think of the Lord as being over everything. It helps me keep all the other stuff in perspective rather than ordering it, okay? You know, so it's like if, if one of my kids was in a bad car accident and they call me up and say, yeah, I was in a bad car accident, can you come get me? I go, well, you're only number three. I gotta check with God and check with your mother first. Okay, I don't wanna do that, right? So the Lord is over everything. And so he gets that. So what is your one thing? He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold or to gaze upon, some of your virgins say, the idea means to perceive him, the beauty of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate or some virgins say to seek him in his temple. So what does he say? He says, the top priority of my life is the Lord. And this is the one thing that I really desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does he mean by that? I mean, he means that he wants to fellowship with the Lord. He wants to know the Lord intimately. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord personally. Now, some people would say, and come back with that, and they say, well, God is everywhere. But that does not mean that you know him personally. Okay, so let's just say you go to a concert. There's a band on the stage. Are you in their presence? You're in their presence. How well do you know them? 
You don't. So a lot of people go to church every Sunday in the United States of America, and they're in the presence of the Lord and his people per se, but they're not really in the presence of the Lord. They don't really know him. They don't really know the people. They just happen to be there. He says, I want to be in the presence of the Lord personally. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I know God, and he knows me, and it's a, and it's a constant growing relationship. And he says, I want to behold the Lord. I want to gaze at him. That comes down to that what, is that, what is that one thing that you look at that you just gaze in, that you just have that, that time when you think that, that's just such a beautiful thing. Those of us men who have been married, we I'm going to be with a couple next week to experience this. The groom is sitting up front, and everybody turns around and looks at the bride walking in, and he's like, oh, oh. right? And, and he's like, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life right? Remember that moment, guys. And so he, he's saying, I want to just gaze at the beauty of the Lord. And then he says, and part of this also, this one thing is I want to inquire of him. I want to seek him. What does he mean by that? He goes, I want to learn from him. I want to hear from him. I want to ask him for guidance. I want to ask him for wisdom. So David seeks the Lord not just for safety, but he tells us that really the Lord is his top priority, his top priority is the presence of the Lord. It is the worship of the Lord. You see, for King David, going to the house of the Lord was not some duty. A lot of people just do it as a duty. Less and less are doing it as a duty now, but a lot of people just would do it as a duty. Rather, he is going because for him, it is a time of soul-satisfying, deep fellowship with God and his people just fellowshipping with God, being close to God. And he says, I want this all the days of my life. And I think that's his life here on earth, but it certainly could go into eternity. And it's interesting when you read the Bible, the Bible writers and the apostles put much more emphasis on corporate worship, the gathering of God's people than we do in the American church. Well, why is that? Because to them, it was a picture of a greater reality. It was a picture of a heavenly reality a picture of what heaven would be like. And sadly, many followers of Jesus who fail to make this a priority often end up far from the Lord or not deep in the faith, some even falling away. Now, you might ask the question, does he want to dwell or live in the earthly temple? I doubt it. I think he's simply saying, everywhere I go, I want to be closer to the Lord and gathering with his people, singing his praises, hearing his word taught, this is just one of the ways that I keep that going every day in my life. King David does not want to be complacent. He wants to live completely for the Lord and seek him with passion. And you know, that's what the Lord wants for you, and that's what the Lord wants for me. He doesn't want us to be complacent. He doesn't want us to come into church and watch the band and go, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. He wants you to sing. He doesn't want you to listen to me up here telling stories about me and my wife in the Badlands, right, of wearing sunglasses and stuff like that. What does he want you to do? That's just to get you to detox from the week. He wants you to get your face in the Bible and hear from him. Yes, I'm talking to you, but there's another 
conversation that's going on this way. And this is what he wants for you to do. Uh, for those of you who take notes, what I used to do is I used to take my bulletin and a, a program or a piece of paper I was doing, and I would take the page and I would divide it into two-thirds and one-thirds. Two-thirds is what the pastor said, and one-third was that I heard what the Lord said to me. Now you say, well, why would the Lord get shorter? Because usually there was less things, but they were so specific and they were actionable. They were actionable. And so those were the things that I wanted to do that, and I would, I would usually go back over the, over the passage again. And so God wants us to seek him with compassion. He wants us to seek him in his will, he wants us to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire. Again, we are not to be passive if we want to know the Lord more intimately. This is essential to true worship. This is essential to being to true discipleship. Now, some of you say, oh, I'm not a disciple. That's for the superstar Christians, but not in the Bible. The disciples are simply the learners and followers of Jesus. So God wants you to what? He wants you to be more intimate with him. He wants the people of God together and individually be more intimate with him, know more about him, and hear from him. God wants you, God wants me, to grow deep in him. That is a goal of God for you and for me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, please listen to what I'm about to say. God wants you to hear him calling you to that intimacy, calling you to knowing him personally. You say, How, what do I do? How do you do that? You respond to what God has done for you. God sent his son to die on a cross for you. And so what you say to God is, I will, the biblical word is repent. I will turn from my sin to you, God, and I will look up at that cross and I will no longer trust in myself. I'm no longer thinking I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, but I'm going to put my trust in him in the Lord Jesus. Verse five and six says, for in the time of trouble or in the time of adversity, he shall hide me or some verses say, keep me safe in his pavilion. Some of you will think pavilion, you're like, what, he's got a place down at the shore on the boardwalk? What, what is that? If you're not from New Jersey, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some verses say a shelter of, of his tent. Some Bible scholars think, and it doesn't probably translate very well for the typical American reader, that it actually is more similar to the wording of a lion's lair, that the Lord is a lion. He, he says, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall or he will hide me. He shall set me or lift me high upon a rock. And that's a, uh, an idea of that is triumph. Verse six, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his temple or in his tent. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So the enemies, they're around him, but what does he say? I'm going to make sacrifices of joy, and I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. So I don't think David was one of those guys that was waiting for church day to meet with God. You know, people, some people are just like, well, I go to church once a week. David's like, no, 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 I go every day, a few times a day, actually. I don't, need, I don't need a building. I don't need all that. But I do meet with God's people, but I also meet with God alone. It was a regular part of his life. And it was when trouble came, it was a natural part of his life. And this is a very important thing, right? Now, he's not saying that here that pain and heartache didn't affect him. 
What he's telling us is when pain and heartache did affect him, he knows who to run to. And it's important that we get used to seeking the shelter of the Lord, safe under the shadow of his wings, as the Bible says, when there's no trouble. Because then when there is trouble, the natural default becomes to run to the Lord. Now, maybe today your life's just in a hot mess. You haven't been running to the Lord at all. You're like, oh, no, I'm not prepared. I can't do this. No, you can. It's just a lot harder to get to understand the Lord and know the Lord when everything's going crazy, right? Than if it had been something you had been naturally doing all along. So here we see that even being under the threat of enemies, nearness to the Lord is freeing David from fear, and he's able to sing with joy. The intimacy and preparation of verse 4, okay, the dwelling in the presence of the Lord will prepare you for the battles of verse 5 and 6. Very important concept, okay? Be intimate with the Lord. How do you do that? You read your Bible, you pray. Some people say, I read the Bible, I don't understand it. I can almost guarantee you if you read one chapter of the Bible, there's probably one or two sentences you understand, okay? Then that's all God's going to hold you responsible for, right? And you'll learn more over time, over time, over time. It happens all the time. I, see, I get to see it all the time here. People come here for the first couple of times, they leave me. They're like, Pastor Jim, you are so brilliant. You're so brilliant. Three months later, eh, not bad today, Pastor Jim. <laughs> Six months later, I like last week's sermon better. <laughs> he ain't so smart. I'm not, right? I'm not. You learn more. Like anything else, the more you do it, the more you will learn it. And so those things, right, okay, have prepared him. Now, some of us love to sing about the Lord, our lion. We sing these songs, right? The lion and the lamb, the lion of Judah. But have you really thought about it? I mean, I know everybody likes to think of gentle Jesus, right? But he's also a lion. I love that. That's real protection. That's real protection. I mean, I could just picture David being, you know, up in the lion's lair saying to the enemies, come and get me, come and get me. You might be dinner, but come and get me right? Very happy to, to be under the protection of the Lord. So verse 5, that's the case. Verse 5, he says he's protected by a lion, safe in his lair, high on a rock. And that makes the enemies of verse 6 less scary. What's the lesson here? I think it's this, that time spent in intimacy with the Lord. Now, you can't be passive. You have to be active. Worship in the house of the Lord. Worship on your own time is never wasted time. So maybe right now you got no problems in your life. And you're sitting here going, I hope he hurries up. I got no problems in my life. I don't need to deal with any of this. Everything's cool on my end. Oh, you're going to need this someday. <laughs> it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's not a matter of, well, it might happen one time. It's a matter of how many times it's going to happen. Because it's going to happen over and over and over again. Heartfelt rejoicing is the fruit of this. He's intimate with the Lord. And it says that he offers a sacrifice of joy and singing praises. And what is it doing? It's casting out fear. It may not change things, but it's casting out fear, and it's an expression of devotion. But again, I will say this again, you must be fully engaged. 
Too many people will tell you, oh, I know the Lord of the sanctuary. I know the Lord of church. I get him. But do you know the Lord of the battlefield? Do you know the warrior God? Do you know the God who protects his people? That takes us to number three. First, confidence in the Lord kills fear. Second, personal intimacy with the Lord kills fear. Third, prayer made to the Lord kills fear. Verse seven and eight, there's this massive changeover. And as David moves from confidence to crying out in faith. Verse seven, hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy, some versions say, be gracious also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Verse 9 and 10, do not hide your face from me. The, other, the idea is don't remove your blessing. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me or do not abandon me, some versions say, O God of my salvation. When, or some versions say, even if, my father and my mother forsake me. Now, we don't know the full story of all that. It could even mean just death. Then the Lord will take care of me. What is he saying? Listen, if my parents were to leave me or if they have died, I'm confident that the Lord will adopt me. Even in desperation, in great difficulty, he has hope and confidence in the Lord. Now, in verse 4, King David said his priority in life was seeking the Lord. But now when we come to these verses in 7 and 8, it seems to be that he's in some sort of trouble. He's like, you know, answer me. You know, I'm seeking you. Don't hide your face. Now, this has caused some Bible scholars to say this, that this is really two different psalms, that we're supposed to divide them in half that the first part was, you know, just David writing and the second half was some other guy writing who was in a bunch of trouble. I could not disagree more. I consider this to be life. This is life. Sometimes you're very confident in the Lord, right? You're excited. Your strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. You know, like you're, you're out there, you're having a great time, man. You're singing it up. You're like, nothing can beat me in the Lord. I got this wired. I'm ready. And then all of a sudden, one phone call, one text, one email, one bounce check, whatever it is. Oh, God help. That's what life is like, isn't it? I know you're spiritual people, not you, maybe me. Right? That's what happens. Our faith goes up and our faith goes down. Our faith goes up and our faith goes down. In verse 8, David says, you said, seek your face. And he basically says, and I have. And then in verse 9, he says to the Lord, do not hide your face from me, your servant. Isn't it interesting he calls himself his servant? He is the king. But he calls himself, I may be a king of a little country, on a little planet. But I, Lord, at the end of the day, I serve at the pleasure of my king. That's who I serve. David knows that God does not forget those who serve him. Maybe we need to let that one just fall. God just let the words fall. God does not forget those who serve him. And he says it 
maybe this is not your experience, but back then in a family-based culture, this was really huge. He says, the Lord is more faithful than a mother and a father. That's how faithful he is. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes these words, again, Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's written over a thousand years after David lived. But David knows that God does not ask you to love him, and then withhold his love from you. One more time. God does not ask you to love him and then withhold his love from you. That is just not his way. Or in contemporary modern slang, that is not the way God rolls. No way is he going to ask you to love him and then not love you. The point is this, and maybe today this is the reason why some of you have come. God does not give up on you. God does not give up on you. And again, I said before he says amen again, (laughs) God does not give up on you. And all God's people said? There we go. Now we're alive. When you're afraid, verse 8 says, cry out to him for mercy and grace. You know, that's the beautiful thing about God. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, he doesn't make fun of you. He doesn't. He tells you, trust in me. The rest of the world all has their opinions. God says, trust in me. Come to me. All ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's very interesting that often when we do that, when we come to him, when we cry out to him, when we are afraid, you often get new courage and new clarity in the situation, even if nothing changes. Even if things remain the same, you have new clarity, new courage. And even when nothing changes, what does God want us to do? Still turn to him as our deliverer, as our savior. And this may seem odd, but often seeking the Lord in times of doubt will often lead you to stronger faith and stronger dependence on the Lord and stronger trust in the Lord. Verse 11 and 12, he says this, teach me your way, O Lord. What does that tell us? King David had a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit. You know, if you don't have a teachable spirit, you're not going to grow very much in the Lord. You're just not. That's just the way it goes. That's how David could write some of these things that he writes. I'm just like, Lord, where did you get this guy? Just incredible stuff that he writes because he was so teachable. Everything he went through in life was an opportunity to learn something about God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path or a level path, because of my enemies, his foes, his oppressors. Verse 12, do not deliver me 
to the will or the desire, some versions say, of my adversaries. What does he say? Give me victory over my enemies and against the people that are against your work, Father. Your work, Lord. And you know where? Sometimes those people were in the temple. And sometimes those people were in the churches. He says, give me, give me victory over them. For false witnesses have risen against me. Now, if you are a leader, <laughs> you know what that's like. And if you don't, you will. Okay, so let me give you some advice. If false witnesses have risen against you. He goes on and says, and such breathe out violence, or a version, some versions say spouting malicious accusations against me. So if you're a leader and people are saying false things about you, let me just give you a few bits of advice. Number one, get used to it. Get used to it. Number two, consider the source. Consider the source. Number three, eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Changed by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Changed by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.